So Money Episode 289, Reva Lazonsky. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Farnoosh, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4,000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and, and cancer-related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes a lot in common with who you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancers. It's raised over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was uh, life-altering. But of course, it's for an amazing tremendous and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the rider that we're riding for, uh, who's riding in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, all the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, yeah. but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And, and I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
Well, today's guest is the CEO of Grow Biz Media. It's a content and consulting company specializing in small business and entrepreneurship. Reva Lazansky has been consulting, meeting, and speaking with small businesses and owners for nearly 30 years. Prior to this role, she was a senior vice president and editorial director of Entrepreneur Magazine. And that's actually how Reva and I met. I was working over at thestreet.com. And as part of my job there, I was contributing an article to Entrepreneur every month about how small business owners and entrepreneurs might want to think about investing their money and how to get money for their businesses and all sorts of financial advice for the small business owner. And Reva and I worked closely on those pieces, developed a relationship, and uh, happy to say that we're still in touch. And she's on the show today. A little bit more about Reva. She's nationally recognized. She's appeared in top news outlets, including The Today Show, CNN, Good Morning America, Fox Business, Oprah, Why did she leave that at the end? I would have started with Oprah, (laughs) among many other places. She regularly appears on MSNBC's Your Business and is the author of several books, including the bestseller, Start Your Own Business. Reva has also been named on Folio Magazine's Folio 40 list, a small business influencer by Small Business Trends, and has been inducted into the Business Journalism Hall of Fame. Some takeaways from our interview. One, stop asking why and ask yourself why not. Two, Reva's best advice for brick and mortar business owners that want to launch successfully. And finally, attention online businesses and brands. Here's the one mistake that could effectively lose you 30% of visitors to your website. Here is Reva Lazonsky. Reva Lazonsky, welcome to So Money, my friend. I've known you since 2008, I think, before the market crashed. We, yes. We were working together on some very aspirational pieces for Entrepreneur Magazine where you were at the helm and I was writing about alternative investing and how to, how as an entrepreneur, you should invest your money. And then everything went to pieces, not just, uh, you know, our column, but like the world. Um, and, yes. and, and happy to know that you reemerged triumphantly and how you been doing. I've been doing so great, Farnoosh. You know, I think about, you know, back then a lot. You know, you and I um, both worked for traditional media companies as employees. And now, not all that many years later, everything has changed. And I think we're kind of um, symbolic of, of a lot of what's gone on in the entrepreneurial world. And and good examples of how people can continually um you know, to look at a situation and say, hey, I'm going to take control and emerge on the other side of it in in a lot better shape than you were going into it. Exactly. So just to give listeners some background on you, uh, you were the editorial director and senior vice president at Entrepreneur Magazine, which is still around. It's a great magazine. You had a great run there. But then you had to move on. What happened and what was your first inclination? Because I, I kind of see your, your your trajectory is very meta because, <laughs> you you know, you're someone who is entrenched in the world of entrepreneurship as a content creator and as a uh, sort of di- content director. But you yourself are an entrepreneur in that space as well. So after Entrepreneur Magazine, what happened? I know that they had a lot of restructuring there and you moved on. Were you sure about what was going to happen next? No. In fact, um, they had – it's it's a thing that happens in a lot of places. The 
owner's son was um, gaining more control. I didn't like the corporate philosophy anymore. I didn't like the company culture anymore. And I thought, you know, I've been doing this for 26 years and I'm kind of tired of being on the outside of this. You know, I'm I'm making a lot of money for a lot of people. I'm getting a lot, helping a lot of people get rich. But what about me? You know, it's that moment where you're like, OK, I can be an observer for the rest of my life or I can take control. And it's it's funny. I talk about this a lot. I took my first trip ever to Europe. I went with my sisters and my nieces and, you know, I was talking to them about what should I do? You know, this this is this big dilemma. Should I just quit? What should I do? And um, I, I was sitting outside uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral because they were climbing up and I there was no way my knee was going to allow me to do that. And I just was sitting there taking in the magnificence of the whole scene and went, why not? I, to me, that's a big question that everybody should ask themselves. It's not about why, it's why not. And if you can't come up with a really good reason why not, then just do it. And so that's what I did. So I uh, came up, went to talk to some of my top editors. We came up with a plan um, and started planning about how we would take our knowledge, our reputation, and our, our skill set and and do it for ourselves and that was in you know I finally quit in 2008 and so here I am seven and a half years later and um knock wood I always knock wood and we're, we're doing fine and that was the beginnings of grow biz media right Yes, we started Grow Biz Media. And so what Grow Biz is, is we're a, a content creation company, but it's all about entrepreneurship and small business. So we create content for our own website, which is smallbizdaily.com. We do it for other of the the small business websites like allbusiness.com and small biz trends but we also do it for a number of of corporations big ones like AT&T and web.com and small ones like Funbox and Fundera um and so it's really interesting that we we get to cover the gamut we do um blogs and articles and ebooks and tweet chats. We do a lot of ebooks for company corporation, for instance. We do like four a year for them. We do one every month for web.com. So it's still about keeping um, staying up to date on the entrepreneurial market and small business and figure out what people are doing and maybe what they should be doing that they're not doing and, and letting people know. What should people be doing? As somebody who is really I I mean you are at the forefront you're creating the content, you're in the trenches, you're, you have your ear to the ground as to what's happening, what people are doing, what their pain points are. So for our audience, what might be your best advice for somebody who is trying to get a business off the ground in this climate, in this market? And we're talking, let's talk, you know, a, a traditional small business. I think a lot of times we think of online business and surely that's mm -hmm. a huge segment, a huge marketplace. But let's just say you're trying to get a a, a regular brick and mortar business off the ground. How do you differentiate yourself these days? There has to surely be an online component to your business, but any, any advice that's kind of timely and relevant to what's going on in the world today? 
Yeah. So I think the, the one thing you have to remember with a brick and mortar business is you actually have an advantage over online businesses only, which people don't realize. There's been tons of surveys of consumers about how do you like to shop? What do you like to do? And what consumers want the most is to have the choice that is not, it's not a consistent choice. Some days they want to go into a store. Some days they want to order online. Some days they want to go into a store and look at the merchandise and then go home and order it online. Cause maybe, um, maybe in your warehouse, you have more colors or sizes than what you're showing in your store. Or often they want to order online and then go pick it up in your store. And almost everybody wants to do returns in store if they order online. So if you have a brick and mortar, any kind of retail presence, no matter what it is that you're doing, you should have a very active online component because people like to to do both. Sometimes it's about convenience, right? So new moms, right? Uh, and you might be shopping at one in the morning because that's your window. So you can't go into a store at one in the morning, but maybe you need that item pretty quickly. So you go online, you order it online, and you can go into that local store in your neighborhood and pick it up the next day. And I think that's really the key. It's about consumers today. No matter what kind of business you're launching, my number one advice is to realize you're not in control anymore. Consumers are in control. Let's turn it now to the online business owner who wants to make a splash. What's your advice in that space? Whether you're online or not, the, the, the big thing, you, everybody needs a website. And I think finally we've achieved some kind of, I mean, we're not even close to 100%, but I think most most serious small businesses understand that they need a website. But now we're at the point where you need a website that's optimized for mobile. And according to some numbers I've seen, it's only 30% of entrepreneurs whose sites are mobily optimized. And this is another area where consumers have just leaped ahead of businesses. Consumers are using their phones and their tablets to uh, window shop, to actually shop, to place orders. Again, it's the convenience factor. And there's all sorts of stats. I saw one last year that said, if a consumer goes to your your website on their smartphone or tablet and you are not um, optimized for mobile viewing, 30% of them will never come back to you ever whether they're on a desktop or not. They just get a very negative impression of your business. Thirty, Another 30% wow. will... Yeah, I mean, that's an enormous number. I'm writing that and down. I'm, I am mobile optimized for my website. Thankfully, I don't sell a whole lot on there, if anything. But uh, still, t- yeah, your, the user experience is so important. My brother is actually a UX designer. And this is his job, is to make sure that the user feels good about the experience that they have online with your product. Yeah. Wow. And that's your reputation. And then another 30% will immediately go back. Chances are they came to you from um, a search engine search, a Google search. They'll go back to the search engine and go to one of your competitors. They don't have time. You know, people shopping on their phones, they're not doing it because they have a lot of leisure time. They're in a hurry. They want to see what they want to see. And you need to provide that for them. But the other thing I think, you know, there's uh, all that message is getting through, but then people don't take it to that next step and they don't optimize their mobile 
mobile marketing. So they're sending an email, like, you know, a regular email newsletter or a promotion, and it's not optimized for, for, um, mobile viewing. And then that, that's even, the numbers are even worse. Something like, I'm trying to remember the number, but something in the 60% range of emails are opened on smartphones first. And, and, you know, if you think about it in your life, you you see it, right? People on a bus, on a train, in line at the grocery store, they got their phones open and they're like, okay, let me get rid of these. So they're not in my way. And so, or they're looking at it to see what they want to look at later, or if they want to buy something, whatever that is. And if your email's not showing up on their phone, they're just going to delete you. And so by the time they get to a laptop, your, your message is gone. I mean, I still use my laptop for obvious things like the podcast and writing long articles and I don't know what things that ca- that really take up a lot of time. But I tell you what, I've gotten really good at writing long emails on my phone because yes. <laughs> that's what's easiest and accessible. And it's a bit of a pain, but my thumbs have gotten really good at it. So practice well, the, makes uh, perfect. Just the other day, I was um, I had my laptop in the living room and I was sitting there and I was um, doing work. And then I I took out my i my iPad. And because it's sometimes it's a lot easier to consume Twitter on my iPad. And so my my husband came in and goes, what are you doing? Because I had my iPad literally on top of my laptop. And I said, well, it's a lot easier to do it this way. It's a lot quicker. Right. And he just shook his head and laughed. But the truth is. That, you know, I'm not, I didn't originate that. I'm not the only one doing that. And so marketers need to understand that everything you do needs to be done with mobile in mind because that's what consumers um, are, are doing and they're doing it far more hours. They're on their smartphones far longer than they're ever on a laptop or a desktop. Wow. Well, Reva, I, uh, I I love the idea of having you on this show, not just because I want to catch up with you, but because I really want to dig deep and find out what is Reva's money mindset like? You know, what's your philosophy on the financial world personally? And so let's start with my favorite question at the top, which is, what is your financial philosophy? If you had to summarize it, you're you're the content queen. So maybe you can <laughs> condense this for us. But because I know we all have myriad uh, philosophies on money. But what's your favorite and your in your top uh, money mantra? Well, I, I think that you you have to be bold but smart at the same time. So I, everything you do, you should have a cushion behind you. And then once you have a cushion, don't, don't, or don't be cheap. You know, don't worry about, should I invest in this marketing campaign? Should I buy this new computer? Should I, you know, buy, a, you know, buy a business, go into business? It's, you can't, you're not going to succeed by taking timid steps, but you're also not going to succeed by just doing crazy things by like, okay, I'm going to take my whole life savings and dump it into here. Because stuff happens, you know, it really does. And then your first idea may not work out, right? And so you have to have that cushion in order to go back, you know, what Steve Blank says about the the lean startup and, you know, taking that concept of lean startup into growing your business as well. It's all about, you know, doing, figuring out what you did wrong and reiterating all in an endless loop. 
So you don't have time to um, sit there and worry about, can I make the mortgage this month? So you need to have that cushion behind you and then just be bold. I remember Barbara Corcoran once told me that what helped her in the beginning of building her business was, and, and she uses this term with a grain of salt, but it, it has some truth to it, is that I, she would just throw money at things. And what is, and hopefully something would stick. <laughs> yes. Meaning, like you said, I mean, she wasn't giving up her mortgage money to try a new marketing tactic, but she was willing to invest and take chances on things. I mean, you only know so much when you're starting a business. You're going to lose money. It just is. I mean, if you don't, right. I don't know. Uh, does that ever happen? I mean, you're, <laughs> if you don't, don't worry. It's going to happen at some point. It's, it's going to happen. You're going to make mistakes and hopefully you will sooner than later so that you can learn and pick yourself up. But she, I will never forget, she told me, I just, you got to throw money sometimes at things and you have no idea what's going to happen, but you have to have faith. And it doesn't mean you don't have to do the work, but starting a business, you got to sort of spend money to make money. And, and she's absolutely right. You, If you're going to be, um, if you're not going to spend, if you're not going to try, it's all about trying. It's all about experimenting. That's what, that's what entrepreneurship is all about. If you, if, if you're not comfortable doing that, then there, you know, there's other options open for you. You can be an employee. I mean, I'm not, I would never put down there, you know, millions and millions of perfectly happy employees. Um, you might look about, look at a franchise, which is kind of a hybrid, right? You, so you're responsible for some things, but it's a much more secure environment. You're not coming up with, um, you know, brilliant new marketing campaigns on your own. Corporate's feeding that, that to you. And so, you know, there's other ways to do it, but I think that if you, if you don't, try the new stuff you'll just never you'll never grow because the the market I think the one thing that's really different today is the market is changing so quickly just so quickly and that demographic groups that have long you know previously been overlooked have a lot of economic impact and so you have to look in like social media right 10 years ago like who cared it didn't matter and now you have to look at who are you serving what's your market and where are they like I just read the Piper Jaffrey report I love this this report, it comes out twice a year on the teen market. And, you know, you think about teenagers and they have a lot of money of their own to spend, but they also, you know, get their parents to buy them things or go some places or, or do some things. And for teen, so you want to be able to reach them. And, um, you know, we always used to say to entrepreneurs, well, you can't do all the social networks at once. So figure out where your customers are, which is still true. But figure out where your customers influences are is also true. So the number one social media for teenagers is Instagram. It's it's not Snapchat. Mm -hmm. It's Instagram. Number two is Twitter. Hmm. And it, which I found fascinating. Snapchat was in third place. Facebook was in fourth, a little pretty far down from there. And so it's about, okay, you might have to be on Facebook to market to the parents, but you might have to be on Instagram to market to the teens. It's, right. it's a balance. There's Periscope and there's, what's that yeah. other thing? Like, uh, Meerkat or something? Oh my gosh. There's so yeah. many things. There's one video, there's a video chat room now that's 
I forget what it's called. I think it starts with a B. I got invited on. I'm like, no, I'm, I have to put my foot down at some point. I mean, I just made my Instagram public like a year ago. I was private. What a mistake. <laughs> now I'm realizing because yes. apparently that's where everyone's headed and eyeballs. Um, I just got Snapchat, much to my chagrin. I, my brother, who's 24, was like, you got to get on Snapchat. You got I love sending you Snapchats. I'm like, I like to keep my photos. I don't know about you, right. but I'm not into this, you know, fleeting moment. I'm going to like take a picture and savor it. But anyway, that's that's because I'm old. And No, but I think that's interesting because to me, you know, they're saying to business owners, you need to be on Snapchat. And I'm not on it. I am on the one with the B, Blab. Blab. Kind of, yeah. Yes. Kind of interesting. I will tell you that. So I should I waste time on Blab too? Okay. I would, I would do it. I think it might, um, it might help you. We, we did one last week and it's fun. It's really kind of fun. It's sort okay. of like open mic night for, and they come and ask you questions, you know, the way you frame it. But for Snapchat, I, I don't understand how businesses can really benefit from a message that it goes away. Stick. Yeah, it goes away. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's fle- I I'm with you on that one. Well, Reva, what's a a money memory growing up as a kid? Where did you grow up by the way? And and what's a pivotal financial memory that you had as a kid? I grew up on Long Island um in uh in Huntington in Suffolk County at a time when it it wasn't as um developed as it is today. Nice word. So when we moved Good catch. there, yeah. <laughs> when we moved there, it was, um, it was, you know, it was, we were a first neighborhood built on some farmers ex potato field surrounded by other potato farms. And my high school was across the street from a cabbage farm. I mean, the farms are gone, but, um, today, but I grew up there, but still at the time, an hour and a half into the city, into New York. So I think I kind of had the best environment to grow up in. I was out in the, the boonies that was working itself towards the suburbs, um, becoming a suburb. And yet I had, um, access to New York City, um, you know, just a a train ride away. So I think that that was kind of perfect. My dad was a small business owner. So money was, you know, always tight. So that's kind of my big money memory was um, there was, you know, it's one small store before, you know, he started his store before the malls came. He um, didn't choose to put his store in a mall when the malls opened. And so when I was in college, he had to close his store because people weren't shopping in the neighborhoods anymore. You know, now we're back to the future. We're sort of now people are shopping in the neighborhood. There in the the 70s, people just stopped. They stopped going to neighborhood stores. And so I, you know, that memory is very to be hell, you know, closing down a store you'd had for over 20 years. Um, you know, that's, that's just devastating mm. to anybody. And then he had to go and work. Um, he had a men's clothing store. So then he went and worked and became the manager of, you know, a big corporate store in the mall. And I sat there and I can remember, this is before I knew anything about entrepreneurship, but I was like sitting there thinking, I don't get it. So you didn't want to go to the mall and now you're in the mall. And, you know, and I just think my dad was, um, the mall was new. It was a different concept and he was just too scared to embrace that the you know it's the fear of the unknown and i think you know being of his generation he wasn't ready to embrace that 
No, I don't think anyone prior to 1980 was really into entrepreneurship or maybe even 1990. Yes. (laughs) Entrepreneurship has been around obviously since uh, this country was built, but and prior to that, obviously, but I'm talking in U.S. history since this country was built, was built by entrepreneurs and still is. But I think that this idea of of leaving your corporate job and doing something on your own was not advocated. At least it wasn't in my generation, not in my household. Not that people were against it, but there was so much fear around it. It was like, why would you ever leave a company that's going to give you a pension and insurance and a guaranteed paycheck? But obviously, you know, you go, you go through one economic cycle and you're like, Oh, you know what? I'm better off on my own. That's why. You know what? And and you're absolutely right. And, you know, considering that I started working at Entrepreneur Magazine back in the late 70s, I had that seat right at the front lines. I mean, I was um, I was, you know, where you cross that line as a journalist where I was, you know, basically an advocate as well for small business and watching it grow and watching it evolve. And that was exactly right. I mean, people were doing it in the 80s, but nobody was really boasting about about being an entrepreneur. Not a lot of people understood what that meant and the difference between maybe owning one store and owning a chain of stores. And it was the 90s that that the word and, and the, 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 the occupation, if you will, came into, um, you know, really became popular. And that's when people started to go, I can do this. And part of it, I think, was driven by all these minorities and women who had been um, not had been excluded from corporate life. And then in the 80s, were told, oh, you want to be equal, go get your MBA and, you know, join the corporation. And they did. And then the recession at the early 90s, they all fired. And so they're like, okay, what am I going to do? And they and they started businesses. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what made it happen. A good kick in the the pants. Yes. Yes. Hey, I, I laid. There's always a great story at the other end of a layoff. Yes, there always is. You, I mean, at least <laughs> I speak generally, but you know what I mean. What about? No, there is because yeah, it's motivation. It right? is. You, you, it, gonna- what's your number one failure, Riva? Like a financial failure that you experienced? Perhaps it was as you were transitioning to start your own business. Maybe it was even earlier in your life. But um, you know. Tell us a little bit about the dark side. <laughs> well, when when I started my business um, with my partners, um, I decided that I could. I was like trying to be noble, I guess, and that I could. I could. I can go and and not take a salary because we didn't have that much money, right? And so I didn't take a salary for like. I think two years, maybe two and a half years, and I depleted my savings. And that was just stupid. It was absolutely stupid. Don't ever do what I did. I mean, I'm really telling everybody who's listening, don't do that, which is why now I say, make sure you have a backup. You know, thank God I, you know, I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose my house or lose my car. I didn't run out completely out of money, but, um, you know, the, I ate into the financial safety net and that's not a smart thing to do. So what did that result in as far as your ability to live your lifestyle and spend? How can you paint the picture a little bit? Well, it was obviously harder to spend, um, travel, vacation travel, um, basically, 
disappeared. Um, I haven't had a vacation in probably since the year I started my business. Um, we went away. We had a, a trip book then, and I don't think we've gone anywhere really since. Um, and it's it, it also leads you to, I hate to say no to, there are, there are, Proposals I get that I really should say no to that, even though they're, they're, they're paying when you look at the time invested, it's, it's not worth it. And, but those early, you know, eight, seven years ago, it was like, say yes to everything because you want to keep that money coming in. So I'm trying to train myself to, um, to think about it differently. And, um, I will tell you, I'm actually not really capable. <laughs> I'm doing that on my own. So I'll often run this, you know, this idea by my husband and go, okay, here's what it is. Here's what we're doing. And he'll just say, no, just say no. It's not worth it. It's not worth your time. Say no. I love saying no. I love saying yes, but I also, (laughs) I feel as like, I just said no to something that I'd actually committed to for months. I said I would do it. And then I got closer and closer and closer and closer. And I thought, what have I done? I can't do this. It was going to require leaving for a week, leaving my kid, leaving my life, which is we're under renovation. And then I thought, wait a minute, I can say no. And I'll end up disappointing people. But in in a year, I'll look back and think, I'm so glad I did that as opposed and and, and maybe they won't talk to me anymore, <laughs> the organizers, but we ended it very amicably. And I never do these sort of things, but it just was one of those life circumstances. And I was like, I can't do it. And as soon as that light bulb went on where I thought I can say no, because it's my life and my health and my happiness, I just felt like a weight had been lifted and so much happier. I was skipping all the way home, even though I knew I had to write that really devastating email to the organizers Mm -hmm. (laughs) and say, I'm not going to be able to do it. But they understood ultimately. No, and that's exactly right. And when you think about it, that's why we started businesses to begin with, right? So we can be in control of our lives. So if we work for a corporation and they said, you have to go do this, you have to go do it. That's that's because that's your job. But being entrepreneurs, we get to define what our job is and what we must do. Right. What about success, Reva? Talk about your so money moment to date. Wow. Um, my so money moment to date, I think, well, I think going back a long time when I was still an employee, my, my biggest amazing moment was actually buying a house. You know, I think that every generation thinks they're not going to be able to afford a house and, um, circumstances, you know, I bought my house a long time ago and, you know, when I walked in there the first time I was like, wow, it's a house and it's mine. You know, I own a house and I'm very lucky that I own a house in Southern California, which has appreciated tremendously. So I, I think that it's just understanding, um, what hard work can get you. Whether, you know, some people may not want a house. Some um, people might want to travel, might say to me, wait, you haven't taken a vacation in seven years. What's wrong with you? Um, so I think that being an entrepreneur gives you the ability to define your own so many moments to make them what you want them to be, to make them what's important to you and not worry about what anybody else thinks. I love that. 
How about habits, Reva? What's your top financial habit that helps you continue to have a good grip on your money? Um, I, it's, it's a a 401 or a a Roth, you know, an IRA. It's about, it's about, like I said, you know, for when I went without the money, I stopped contributing to my retirement plan. Um, and it just, um, like three months ago, my partners and I said, what are we doing? You know, we're not getting any younger. So, um, we just, we're going to start doing that again. And so I think that's, that's really important. And a big, um, a big change for me, and I'm trying to think of what it maybe happened 10 years ago, where um, I pay my credit card bills off in full. I, I try to use credit cards for everything because you get rewards, right? So you pick a card mm-hmm. where you get stuff for using it. And then I try to pay the card off in full where the my first years of many years of, of you know, charging, I, I didn't worry about that. I didn't realize like that interest rate, it adds up and it adds up and it adds up. So now it's, it's very, very rare that I will carry a balance. And if I do, it's never for more than two months. Um, so I'm the same way. I actually have a few credit cards, one for business, one for personal, and then one for travel, which I, I got all excited and I opened it and I never used it. So, but I, I bet my credit score went through the roof when I opened up that credit card because it had a really big line of credit. And instantly I just was, uh, I, my, my credit score is now over 800 because of it. So anyway, yeah. sidebar. Okay, Reva, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind, don't try to overthink it. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is. I would remodel my bathrooms. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh my God. I talk about it every day. As opposed to buying a whole new house with new bathrooms. I mean, you got a hundred million bucks. Oh, a hundred million bucks. Maybe I'd buy a whole new house, but I'd still have to fix the bathrooms in order to sell this one. So that would still be the first thing I would do. Rock on. (laughs) Bathrooms are important. They are. Um, The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Technology. Technology. What kind of phone do you have? Did you upgrade yet to the iPhone 6S? No, I have the iPhone 6 Plus, you know, just the plain old one. And I'm thinking, I don't need, the S did not excite me that much. If I hadn't had a 6 already, I I think it, I, it would have, but I, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm a big, big believer in making sure your, I don't wait for my computer to slow down. I actually replace it every two years and I make sure that I have the very latest software because that is, that's productivity, that's efficiency, that's money. Your technology is money. And a lot of people don't realize that. And that's where they, pinch their pennies. And to me, that's just, that's wrong. That's yeah, insanity. Absolutely. My phone today, for example, my iPhone, I'm, I'm a couple of generations behind. I have the five and um, the soft, it just died. I mean, I couldn't tap. I couldn't swipe. I couldn't, I couldn't do nothing but except press the button. And it was because I haven't, I think it's because I haven't upgraded to the new OS. Yes. But, um, I'm up, I'm due for a new phone anyway. So gonna have Get to it. tackle that. Go to, you know, I, I, 
have to say that I was I was interviewing um, a guy who runs an IT company last week, and he gave me some really valuable advice that I never thought of. So he, an IT repair company, right? Right. So he does um, small businesses are his clients, and he said one of the things he sees, particularly in small businesses, and um, he he deals with mostly creative businesses. So a lot of them, he said, work at home. He said, nobody ever has any backup for anything. He said, you come from a corporation and if your mouse breaks or your keyboard breaks, you call IT and in a minute you have a keyboard. He said, keyboards are cheap. Everybody should always have a spare on the shelf. It's, it's not mm. like the technology is going to get old, but if you're key, if you're working at midnight and your keyboard breaks, you've got nowhere to go. <laughs> Right. He said, have a keyboard on the shelf, have a mouse on the shelf, cheap technology. You should always have a spare. And yeah. I thought that's really smart. I, I learned that the hard way. My, my cord that connects my microphone to my laptop, which is this like $5 USB cord conked out. And I went to the store. I thought it was a software problem. I, just, I thought like, I had to get a new computer, a new mic. And the guy's like, your cord's dead. And it's two ninety nine. So I bought like five because exactly it happens. I, with a daily show like mine, and I coil up the cord and I'm throwing it everywhere in my purse, in my back pocket, and my. So clearly, it's not going to last more than you know. The you pay for you get what you pay for. So, exactly. Yeah, that's always uh, have a I live by that as well. My biggest splurge that I spend oodles of money on, but I love it, and I wouldn't have it any other way is makeup. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? I just, I always have to like, ooh, this is new. I have to, oh, a new mascara. Let me try it. And it sounds like it's trivial, but when you're, you know, you're like, it's a $30 here and $50 here. So, but I'm not going to give it up. Actually, my biggest splurge is on, is my hairdresser. So, mm. and not that he's expensive, but it have to go a lot. It's an experience. It's a luxury. It's uh, yes. going to the salon is not just getting your like men go, they get their hair wet and cut and they leave. But yeah. and now they're even for men. They're like my husband's like goes to this place and they offer him a drink. And you know, <laughs> so they're getting the experience. for him. It's like yeah. not any time when he's not home, I think dealing with <laughs> not dealing with <laughs> but we, my, our son's 16 months getting away. Yeah. While we miss him, it's also like, oh, I can actually take a break now. <laughs> so whether it's going to like, even if it's just running an errand or getting your haircut, it's we savor yeah. <laughs> the time. <laughs> um, one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is to to be better saver. Yeah, you got you grew up. Uh, sort of money was tight, and money uh, was tight, yeah. and um. I, I was never really taught the concept of saving. I, I think they must have lived, you know, paycheck to paycheck or not paycheck to, you know, because my dad had his own store, but, but it was tight. And I just wish that I had learned earlier on the concept of um, why it's important to save and always have, mm -hmm. you know, always have a contingency fund. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... I like to give to causes that are really personal to me. And unfortunately, like my dad died three years ago of Alzheimer's. So um, for a while, I was giving a lot to Alzheimer's. We, in our company, we donate $100 a month to a charity and we'll rotate that to see what's top of mind. Um, one of my partner's sons has autism. So we, we give to autism. My sister just had a, a 
little, a short bout with cancer. So we, we started giving there. I mean, she's okay. Thank God. Um, but so I, I try to make my donations personal. So I feel like I'm helping not only people I know and love, but other people in that same position. Mm, Yeah. It's that connection. Yes. And last but not least, I'm Reva Lazonsky. I'm so money because. Because I love helping people, I guess, make money by starting and growing their businesses. And you are a prime example of that. Thank you so much, Reva. Such a great opportunity to have you on the show. Thank you, Farnoosh. It was great to talk to you. Well, that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Reva, her website is smallbizdaily.com. She's also on Twitter at Reva, R-I-E-V-A. Transcripts and comments over at somoneypodcast.com as always. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and ask me a question. Every Friday, I answer your biggest money questions. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. So money.